Please pray with me. Almighty God and Father, we praise you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the sovereign one. You are in control of all things at all times. And Father, you are the God who draws near to your people. You speak to us through your word. And God, I ask that you would do that now, that you would speak to each one of us through your powerful word, that you would teach us, God, more about who you are, what you have said in your word, and how we can live to the praise of your glory. Father, let that be our goal day, every single day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever experienced an incomprehensible coincidence? You know, you just happen to be in the right place at the right time to see someone special or something extraordinary. Or you just happen to make just the right decision or move that results in unforeseen personal gain. What if these events were not a coincidence, but evidence that God is present and powerfully at work in your life? In reality, every coincidence bears the fingerprints of God. Someone just happens to reach out with just the right encouragement at just the right time. Events inexplicably align to give you an unexpected gift or blessing. A scripture verse pops off the pages of your Bible just as you pray for a word of wisdom or guidance. These are the fingerprints of God. Even when you cannot see God or hear God or sense his presence, there is ample evidence that he is at work in our lives. This work is known as the providence of God. The word providence is not found in the English Bible, but the idea is certainly there. Scripture teaches that God is sovereign. That is one of his attributes. He is in control of all things at all times. He has the right and power to do all that he decides to do. His providence is a bit different. John Piper says that providence is wise and purposeful sovereignty. Of the book of Esther, Chuck Swindoll once said, Though God is not mentioned in the book of Esther, his fingerprints are everywhere. Here are a few coincidences that just seem to happen in Esther. Esther just happens to be Jewish and just happens to be extraordinarily beautiful. Esther just happens to be favored by a king who could have any woman he wanted from his vast kingdom. Esther's cousin and adoptive father, Mordecai, just happens to overhear a plot to kill the king. When he reports what he heard, his report just happens to be written in the king's chronicles. The king, he just happens to have insomnia one night and just happens to read the exact page of his chronicles where Mordecai's deed was recounted. Mordecai's enemy, Haman, just happens to approach the king just as he wondered how to honor Mordecai's deed. Those are just but a few events that just happen 
to happen in Esther. God's fingerprints are all over the place. In fact, God's fingerprints fill the pages of the Bible as he faithfully works out the plan of redemption that he started to unfold in the Garden of Eden. This big picture reveals that the Bible traces God's providence as he works toward our freedom in Christ. That's what I want you to keep in mind as we open Esther and Galatians for a brief overview using two divisions, liberated from destruction and liberated from deception. So our first division is liberated from destruction. This is an overview of the book of Esther. Now, the author of the book of Esther is unknown. His writing, however, reveals that he is likely a Jewish nationalist with an intimate knowledge of the Persian court customs and geography. This tells us that he, or she, was likely a Persian Jew living in Susa, one of the three capitals in Persia. Esther is one of only two books in the Bible named for a woman. Ruth is the other. Some scholars believe Mordecai or the prophet Ezra wrote the book of Esther. Whoever the author is, he or she recorded how God preserved his people and how the Feast of Purim was established. Although God's name is not mentioned anywhere or in any form in the book of Esther, it all points to him and his providence. His fingerprints are everywhere. A brief outline reveals God's providence. In Esther chapters 1 and 2, Esther is selected as the new queen of Persia after a series of unlikely events that can only be explained by the providence of God. In Esther chapters 3 and 4, there is a plot to destroy all the Jews. Now this cannot and will not happen because God chose the Jews as his own treasured possession. From them would come his promised Redeemer, the Messiah. The story of God's redemption of humankind from their fall into sin is the overarching story or the meta-narrative of the Bible. The perfection of paradise is marred when Adam and Eve fall into sin, but immediately God promises to send a Redeemer. This promise is found in Genesis 3.15. The Redeemer will come through the seed of the woman. God's promise of redemption explains not only his choice of Israel as his chosen nation, but also his mercy and grace toward a mostly disobedient, rebellious people. Though he allows his people to experience the consequences of their rebellion against him, he unfailingly protects a remnant of his people, often using the most likely, unlikely of heroes. This is what we see in Esther chapter 5, or, uh, verse 1 through chapter 9, verse 15. God uses Esther to save the Jews from what appears to be certain destruction. The events recorded in these chapters are dramatic and tense, but God is in complete control. In the end, 
Esther and the Jews could echo the words of Joseph in Genesis 50, 20. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. In Esther chapter 9 and 10, the book of Esther closes with two events that highlight God's providence. The Feast of Purim is established for the Jews to celebrate God's deliverance of his people. And Mordecai, the Jew, rises to second in rank to King Ahasuerus, where, much like his ancestor Joseph, he served as an advocate for the Jewish people. Coincidence? Or do you see the fingerprints of God? One commentator notes that coincidences in Esther are the fingerprints of God's hands at work. It is just one book of the 66 books of the Bible that traces God's providence as he works toward our freedom in Christ. Of God's providence, the Heidelberg Catechism says, The Almighty, everywhere present power of God, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures and so governs them that indeed all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. In other words, God's fingerprints are everywhere. The word providence is made up of two Latin words, the word pro meaning before and the word vide, meaning to see. God sees everything beforehand. He sees the end from the beginning because he has ordained it. All peoples, places, and times exist because he has created, appointed, and established them. One commentator writes that this truth is a great comfort for believers. It reminds us that there is a God in heaven who not only knows our sins, he also knows and cares about all our joys, tears, aches, and fears. As you study the book of Esther, look for the fingerprints of God. Although Ahasuerus reigns as king of a vast empire, God Almighty actually reigns as the sovereign king over every event. He is the God who set apart for himself the people who shine in this book of the Bible, namely the Jewish heroes Esther and Mordecai. Esther and Mordecai were Jewish exiles living in Persia during the reign of King Ahasuerus. He is the historical figure known as Xerxes, the famous Persian monarch who reigned from 485 to 6, 465 BC. The events in Esther occur between the sixth and seventh chapters of the book of Ezra. The prophets Ezra and Nehemiah lived in Persia at this time. Orphaned at a young age, Esther was adopted and raised by her cousin Mordecai. Her name means star, and she shines brightly. Esther is revealed as a sweet and attractive character. She's beautiful, modest, obedient, humble, courageous, sacrificial, loyal, and dependable. 
She was Xerxes' queen for 13 years and lived for many years into the reign of his stepson, Artaxerxes. Xerxes is the king who allowed Ezra and the first wave of uh, Jewish exiles to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple after its destruction by the Babylonians. Artaxerxes is the king who allowed Nehemiah to return and rebuild Jerusalem, including his famous wall. Esther's marriage to Xerxes gave the Jews prestige and favor in the king's court. In Esther 4.14, Mordecai says to Esther, Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Do you see God's fingerprints? He uses lowly and unlikely people to protect his chosen people throughout the centuries for the very purpose of blessing the whole world. As you read the Bible, you will see that it traces God's providence as he works toward our freedom in Christ. Jesus Christ came from the nation of Israel. They could not and would not be exterminated before they brought the Savior into the world. He is the reason God promised Abraham that he would not only keep his people safe, but he would multiply them and make them into a great nation, the nation of Israel. He kept that promise because it culminated in the birth of the Messiah we know as Jesus Christ. He kept that promise for the sake of his gospel of redemption. God's providence is evident throughout the Bible. Because God is a God who never changes, his providence is still evident in our lives today. Write that down. What a wonderful truth. God's providence is still evident in our lives today. How do you see God at work in your life right now? What evidence do you see of his providential care, guidance, and control? God's fingerprints are everywhere, in creation, in world events, in our daily lives. We see his fingerprints in our interactions with others, in the birth of a long-awaited child, and in the end of a life well-lived. No matter how haphazard or crazy life seems, and that certainly describes life right now. God's fingerprints are there. Oswald Chambers says that we can see God in exceptional things. But it requires the culture of spiritual discipline to see God in every detail. Never allow that the haphazard is anything less than God's appointed order. And be ready to discover the divine designs anywhere. Ask God to show you how his providence is evident in your life today. It is. This was true for the Apostle Paul. And as we read his letter to the Galatian church, he loudly proclaims our liberty in Christ and God's fingerprints are everywhere. So our second division is liberated from deception. This is an overview of the book of Galatians. Now, the book of Galatians is, in a word, a defensive book. 
It is one of 13 books of the Bible penned by the Apostle Paul. That number is 14 if you agree that Hebrews was also written by Paul. Most scholars do agree that Galatians is the first letter that Paul wrote. In Paul's day, his title of apostle was disputed. The word apostle means one who is sent or commissioned. In the Bible, an apostle is one who received his teaching and his marching orders directly from Jesus, namely the 12 disciples. However, in 1 Corinthians 15, 8, Paul describes himself as an abnormally born apostle. He was sent or commissioned by Jesus at his dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus. So we find that Paul often must defend his apostleship, and we see him do this in Galatians. He also defends the truth that salvation is the gift of God's grace, unearned and undeserved, received by faith alone. More simply, Paul defends the truth of the gospel. This is revealed in a brief outline of Galatians. In chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, Paul opens with a unique salutation. Rather than his usual opening that's warm and loving, he defends his apostleship. Then in chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, Paul highlights a problem that has cropped up in the Galatian churches. Another gospel was being preached by false teachers. In chapter 1, verse 10 through chapter 2, verse 14, Paul more fully defends his apostleship. And in chapter 2, verse 15 through chapter 6, verse 10, he powerfully defends the gospel. In chapter 6, verse 11 through 18, Paul concludes with a personal appeal for the Galatians not to abandon the true gospel. The truth of the gospel is of utmost importance. It allows for no compromise, none. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The gospel proclaims the good news of a sinner's salvation from God's just wrath, from slavery to sin, and from the power, penalty, presence, and guilt of sin. It firmly declares that our righteousness or right moral standing before God comes as a gift of grace from God. We do absolutely nothing to earn it or merit it. The gospel is good news precisely because it is a gift of grace. But grace doesn't come naturally to us. Our natural inclination is to do something to earn or merit God's favor. In Galatians, Paul passionately defends the one true gospel because the Galatian church is turning away from it to embrace the false gospel of works righteousness. This means that they were beginning to believe the lie that they had to add something to the work Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross in order to earn their salvation, to be righteous in God's sight. 
In Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul cries out, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? False gospels and other false teaching have threatened the church from its infancy. What false teaching is bewitching you? The best defense against all false teaching is to know the Bible. We must know how to think biblically in an unbiblical world. We begin by knowing what the Bible teaches about the Bible. This is known as the doctrine of the Bible. And it's most clearly defined in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, which say, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible is God's gift of grace to us, a glorious collection of God's very own words breathed out through the Holy Spirit to 40 different human authors. Because it is God-breathed, all 66 books are inerrant, completely without error in the original manuscripts. The Bible is divine, revealing the very person of God and expressing the very mind of God. Because this is true, this document, written over a period of 1,600 years by so many different flawed humans is flawless and successfully tells one story. The story of God's passionate pursuit to redeem sinners and restore them to right and intimate relationship with himself. Like Esther, Galatians is one of the 66 books of the Bible. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote Galatians to specifically counter legalism in the church and highlight the centrality of grace for the body of Christ. As you study Galatians, look for God's fingerprints of grace. They are everywhere. Immerse yourself in his grace. Become so familiar with God's pure, wondrous grace that you can combat all false teaching about it. The Galatian church was a young church planted by Paul. It was just beginning to grow, yet now its members were being led astray. They were in imminent danger of dismissing and rejecting God's grace. Judaizers had infiltrated their church. These false teachers taught that Becoming a Jew through circumcision was essential to becoming a Christian. In contrast, Paul stands on the truth that we are saved by the good and glorious gift of God's grace alone. That is the truth taught in the Bible. We must know what the Bible says to guard against legalism and works righteousness. We must know what the Bible says to live the abundant life caught up in the flow of God's grace. God, in his providence, has provided his word, Jesus Christ, who became flesh and was born as a man 
a human just like us. 2 Peter 1, 20-21 teaches that he did this for our sake, so that our faith and hope were in God. Isaiah 55, 10-11 teaches that God works through his word, recorded and preserved in the Bible, to accomplish his purposes. The Bible traces God's providence as he works toward our freedom in Christ. Every God-ordained purpose is part of his providence. Therefore, he will unfailingly accomplish them. In Isaiah 46, 8 through 10, God himself declares, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Remember, stand firm. God is an incomparably great God. Don't you want to get caught up in the remarkable reality of his providence? Look for his fingerprints as you read, study, and apply God's word to your daily life. Saturate your soul with God's word. If you and I fail to saturate our souls with the word of God, we will be unable to recognize false teaching. We will also stunt our sanctification or our growth in Christ-likeness. We will miss out on living the abundant life Jesus died to give us. As you study Esther and Galatians, look for Jesus. A Christian professor once said, The center of my life is Jesus Christ. I have found him to be the key to everything I desire in life. And yet I could know nothing about Christ if I did not learn it from the Bible. The Bible presents Christ, and Christ defines the Bible. How can I make a distinction between the two? We know Christ through the Bible, and we understand the Bible through our knowledge of Christ. The two cannot be separated. That is why Paul calls the Bible the Word of Christ in Colossians 3.16. And John 1.14 tells us Jesus is the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. He did this to make God and His Word known to us and bring about what Romans 16.26 calls the obedience of faith. That is God's purpose in becoming flesh and dwelling among us to bring about the obedience of our faith. Such knowledge should renew our desire to know Jesus more fully through the knowledge of his word. Commit to digging into his word daily. Dive deep, searching for his deity or his attributes. Ask yourself as you read each page of scripture, who is God? What is true about him? Which of his attributes or character traits rise to the surface? How do I see Jesus, his love, and or the gospel story? That is the first D of the three deeps Bible study method. The second D is doctrine. Now that's a heavy word, but it simply means teaching. 
As you study, ask yourself, what teaching of the Bible is revealed? How does this passage connect with the Bible's grand story or meta-narrative of redemption? Remember, the Bible traces God's providence as he works toward our freedom in Christ. So keep every passage of scripture in the context of this big story. Try to connect the passage you are studying to other scripture by using the cross references in your Bible. The third D of the three deep Bible study method is diamond. Every time you open your Bible, work to mine a diamond. Pray before you study and ask God to show you what gem he wants to teach you. Then ask him to show you how he wants you to apply different facets of this diamond to your daily life. Ask God to give you specific applications that transform your innermost being, your heart. This alone results in real change in your outward behavior. That is the goal of Bible study, sanctification, heart change that continues until you are just like Jesus. This was Paul's desire for the Galatian church to guard against false teaching. He immersed them in the truth of God's word the truth about works, the truth about righteousness, the truth about grace, and the truth about Jesus Christ. God, in his providence, just happened to bring Paul to them at just the right time to plant the Galatian church and then to protect the Galatian church. In his providence, God has given us the gift of his inerrant, inspired word to protect us from false teaching. That is the truth worth remembering. God's providence protects us from false teaching through the gift of his, in, his inerrant, inspired word. How well do you know the truth God reveals in the Bible? How are you using it? to defend against false teaching. You and I must know God's word. It is the spiritual weapon we are given to wield against false teaching. We must regularly saturate our souls through a prayerful, purposeful study of the Bible, a study that diligently searches for God's person, God's promises, and God's purposes. Use the 3D Bible study method. Look for God's deity or attributes, for the doctrines or the teachings of scripture, and for diamonds, gems that God gives you to apply to your life. Familiarize yourself with this method. Read the handout that you received. Ask me or your small group leader to help you. God's providence protects us from false teaching through the gift of his inerrant inspired word. We must study it, know it, and apply it. Our study this year just happens to center around several interesting characters who just happen to live in extraordinary times. We will read about what just happens to happen to Esther Mordecai, Haman, Paul, and others. 
But the Bible is not about Esther or Mordecai or Haman or the exiled Jews. The Bible is not about Paul or the Galatians. The Bible is not about us. It is about God. And if we pay close attention, we will see his fingerprints everywhere. I have a painting in my home painted by an artist friend that I knew in Indonesia. The only tools that she used to create it were paint, canvas, and her fingerprints. Layer upon layer upon layer of her fingerprints were laid on the canvas until a rich, vibrant portrait of Indonesian flowers emerged. In the same way, God adds layer upon layer, upon layer of his fingerprints upon the canvas of scripture. What emerges is the glorious story of his redemption of sinners like you and me. The Bible traces God's providence as he works toward the freedom that is ours in Christ. I cannot wait to trace his providence as we study Esther and Galatians this year. How about you? Are you ready to search for the fingerprints of God? Please pray with me. Oh, thank you, loving Father, for your word and for your providence. What wonderful promises you have made. What wonderful promises you have kept. Keep us searching your word daily for the revelation of your glorious character for the revelation of your beautiful Savior, and for the revelation of your sovereign plan. It gives us great confidence to know that you hold all times in your hands. It gives us great comfort to know that you see us, you know us, you hear us, and you love us. Help us to live like we know these things are true. Draw us back to your word every day so that we can rest in your good and perfect purposes. This I ask in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.